I think the fencing was really good for me. It was the physicality. For every picket you picked up, that was one less that, that was down. And it was hard and it was hot and it was, my God, did we get into some arguments. But we were one step closer to a point of recovery. This is Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of women living in rural and regional Australia. I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. Welcome back to Season 5 of the podcast, which is being released in conjunction with the winter edition of the Grazy Her magazine. It's the first with our new editorial director, Victoria Carey, at the helm. And we are so eager to hear what you think. So if you, like us, are loving this wonderfully rich edition full of life on the land stories from all over, please let us know what you think at grazyher.com.au or by sharing the mag on social media. One of the features of the winter edition is our article revisiting the women of northwestern Queensland whose families and communities were blindsided by the once-in-a-generation flood event of February 2019. What we found was that some are still aching from the trauma of it all, while others are grabbing hold of life even harder, determined not to miss out on one little thing. And then there's the environment scarred and stripped bare and struggling to reboot, putting pressure on farm businesses, but also giving birth to a new wave of innovation and outside-of-the-box thinking. Our writer Jane Cudahy touched base with eight families as a part of this story. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and I recently spoke with a number of women around Julia Creek and Cloncurry in northwest Queensland for Grazy Her. The 2019 flooding event left the region devastated on a number of fronts, not least reeling from the loss of over half a million head of stock and an estimated 10,000 kilometres of fencing. Recovery has looked different for everyone. A number of women I spoke to are back on their feet and in fact used the adversity as a catalyst for change. Some took a bullish approach to business and have purchased more property and cattle and diversified. Some are taking it slowly as what many people don't understand is that after the floodwater subsided, the region went back into drought, so the soil and pastures are still fragile and well below ideal production levels. For many women, the event itself meant holding down the home front, cooking for chopper pilots and friends isolated by floodwaters, coordinating fodder drops and attempting to shield their children from overflowing emotions. But it's also these women who have led the rebirth of a region, driving difficult conversations and creativity in close-knit communities. A lot of people are reluctant to count their losses and numbers and don't want to talk about what they've lost and I think it's important to honour that. So many amazing stories and resilience and community building have come out of this. I also love the fact that there's been so many babies born in the months following the flood. Those I've spoken to have said it's worked wonders on a number of levels. It's given individual families some hope and reprieve with some joy and it's brought another level of community engagement with many of these young mothers finding support with each other. This area of Queensland is incredibly special and it's hard to put into words the sense of community spirit. In the story I wrote immediately following the flooding event, I said that this harsh part of the world produces challenges and disasters to match anywhere in the country, but it also breeds people tough enough to cope. Two years down the track, it still rings true. 
Today's guest on Life on the Land is Thea Harrington. Thea and her husband Dudley sat in silence for many of the hours, in fact days, about 16 of them, while the extraordinary low-pressure system dumped almost a year's worth of rainfall and sub-zero temperatures on their property. There was no communication with the outside world, no way of moving from their home, and no way for context or quantification of the devastation. It really was, for them, the stuff of nightmares. And for Thea, who's not a country girl, there could have been no bigger introduction to life on the land before this great test of their relationship and new marriage. And the result is an awe-inspiring partnership tested over and over again, and each time it seems a gratitude for life and the people in it comes up trumps. This is her story. Wariner is one of five properties um, in the Bernard pastoral um, umbrella. Um, we have the main breeding property um, an hour north of us. We also have a little block across the road uh, from Wariner, so we sort of run them all as one, um, and then another block to the south of Julia Creek um, that we use for fattening. Perspective-wise, um, we're probably looking at a complete aggregation of around 80,000 acres um, between the floods, which we'll obviously talk about, and then um, a run of dry years. Um, those numbers fluctuate all the time. Um, we are in a process of rebuilding, um, which is really exciting um, because it means, you know, we're sort of getting back to a base level um, where we are running an efficient operation. Right now, how do you reflect on that period of time at the beginning of 2019? 2019, particularly that February, March period, was I mean looking back now it's a total blur to be to be really honest it's a total blur so much happened in such a short period of time it was a challenging time for the family business it was a challenging time for us as a family it was a challenging time for Dudley and I because we'd only been married for four or five months like that's a big thing to go through for a newly married couple. I thought we were pretty rock solid when we got married, having been together for a decade prior. Um, but this just took it to a whole new level. You know, I've never lent so heavily on somebody, but physically and emotionally, we came out of that period with so much respect for each other and so much respect for our relationship. I mean, um, put the business stuff aside, we came out of that stronger than ever. Then you bring the business stuff back into it. And I do think as a business, we're far more resilient, we're far more robust, um, and we are far more agile in how we react to different, different situations. Can you paint a picture of what it was 
actually like? It started out like any other normal wet season. Um, so our wet season up here in Northwest Queensland kicks off around about October and we expect afternoon storms you know the type where it's hot and muggy and heavy and you're sweating like a pig and then it builds up in the afternoon and you get that big clap of thunder and we get electrical storms and all that sort of all that sort of thing by the time end of January February rolls around we sort of come more into a monsoon um, type of wet where we expect you know low heavy cloud where it'll just drizzle nicely for a couple of days and and soak in and you see all the green come up when the sun comes out so we were in that monsoon period Um, and what had happened was there was a low that sort of sat nicely on the Flinders Highway between Julie Creek and Cloncurry and it sat there and this monsoon weather system circled around it in a clockwise manner for 11 days um we had roughly about 500 mil of rain here at Werenup in that time um, and while that might not sound like a lot that's almost our annual average and we had that in 11 days our biggest fall was 240 mil in 24 hours and it this place was just saturated you know julia creek um around the julia creek area is considered downs country so it's quite flat it's black soil um water doesn't just run away here it sort of sits and soaks and everything was just absolutely saturated um so we had this localized rain that caused all this all all the creeks to swell and, and the gullies to fill But then as this monsoonal system sort of swirled down past us over the headwaters of our local creek, um, which is Eastern Creek, they had big rain. And that water then takes two or three days from the headwater to get to us. And then this monsoonal system, you can imagine it's on a clock, it's sort of swinging, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's coming up again um, to the lower catchment and they had big rain. And then it did that over and over and over. So where we only had to worry about creeks. Um, so we have Eastern Creek and we have Julia Creek that runs through this country um, of Werner and Fleurs. And then all those creeks just north of us turning into a river and then a couple bit north of that all those rivers combine and at that point where all those rivers combine the water was 80 kilometers wide I kid you not there was not a parcel of land inside all you could see was these little tufts of trees big you know big river gums that you would wouldn't even think would go underwater and um, my brother-in-law, Bo, flies a gyrocopter um, and he went for a fly and he said, I just, I just have to land because you can't, I had to go home because you couldn't see land. So were you there at the homestead? Um, my husband Dudley and I were here at the Werner homestead. Um, my in-laws and my brother-in-law were up at the northern property um, and, you know, we were, we were prepared to be flooded in. For a couple of days here and there, that's a very typical wet season for us to get cut off. 
so we, you know, the fridges were full, the freezers were full. We had plenty of bread, plenty of canned goods. Um, and you sort of think, oh, great, a couple of wet days wouldn't go astray. You know, I'd love to get stuck into a book or watch a movie or clean out the linen press or something like that. Um, and the novelty for the first couple of days, the novelty was there. And then um, my husband and I went for a walk one afternoon when it was just drizzling and we have a, a very small flock of sheep here just, just for fun um, and they were starting to struggle. They were bogging in the black soil. They were, you know, chest deep in this black soil and could not, it was, it's like quicksand, they just couldn't get out. Um, their wool was saturated having been wet for consecutive days and it was freezing sky. It was the middle of February where we would expect 40, 45, 50 degrees and we had ski coats on which is just unfathomable now because it was so bitterly cold. Um, the temperature dropped down into the single digits um, and that started to cause havoc with the livestock. What was that moment like for you? How did you feel when... Yeah, the novelty factor was no longer there and there was a sense of, um, I don't know, emergency was there? Or what? When, when did the penny drop that this was going to be a big deal? The penny dropped when my husband stepped out of the helicopter and he walked over um, from where the chopper had landed back towards the house and he just looked at me and said nothing. There was just silence and we both knew then and there things were starting to get serious and then later that night poured again to sit in this beautiful old Queenslander home that we have that was built in the 30s that has this lovely tin roof you know normally we would rejoice at the sound of rain on the tin roof and it absolutely poured and we sat here in silence just listening to it thunder down and there was absolutely not a thing we could do. You know, it was the, the monsoon had swung around again and it was back, the sort of weather system was back over us and you couldn't get a chopper out, you couldn't go on a bike, you couldn't, you couldn't move um, because um, the nature of the black soil just holds water um, and just like the sheep were getting bogged, we would have got bogged. So there was nowhere for us to go and nothing for us to do. So we sat, we sat and listened to the rain for days, days and days and days. Um, and obviously there was um, very limited telecommunications during that time um, because our phones rely on solar panels to charge the batteries to run our landlines. So we had next to no landline we had limited wi-fi coverage because of this thick heavy cloud we couldn't get a satellite signal so it was just us just us on this little island and i mean thankfully so our our home was never under threat but you could see the water rising on the horizon and you could hear the wind whistling across the water it was not it was Nothing I'd, neither of us had ever experienced before. 
We'll be back with Thea in just a moment. But now, a word from today's sponsor. For more than 25 years, the Queensland Rural and Industry Development Authority, or Rider, has been supporting Queensland primary producers to make a start in agriculture, improve long-term sustainability and profitability of their enterprise, recover from natural disasters and get back on track with their finances. Following the devastating impacts of the 2019 monsoon trough, Q Rider is administering the $400,000 co-contribution North Queensland restocking, replanting and on-farm infrastructure grants on behalf of the Australian Government. These grants are helping primary producers restock, replant and repair their enterprise following the disaster event. Applications for these grants close on the 30th of June 2022. For more information, visit qrider.qld.gov.au. How horrific. It sounds like a nightmare. It sounds like it really was a nightmare. What what were your thoughts at that stage about, about your stock? Like you just must have been imagining such terrible things. We were hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. Um, at that point, we knew um, it didn't matter if your stock were in the water or, you know, up on high ground, they were under threat from the elements. Those that didn't get washed away had pneumonia and hypothermia. And a neighbour of ours um, from the other side of Julia Creek actually measured the water temperature um, just as for his own point of interest. And the water temperature, you know, was that high teens consistently so the water was beautiful and warm so even though you know my husband would go for a fly with our neighbor and the chopper to try and move cattle to higher ground you would find them going back into the water to shelter from the cold and the wind because the water was beautiful and warm as savage as it was who did you call first once your communications came back on our first point of call was obviously to our family, to my to my in-laws and my brother-in-law um, to see if they were okay and how they had fared. The sun was just starting to poke out and it was just starting to be a little crust on the ground um, on the higher parts of the, of the land. So my brother-in-law um, took off from Bernard in his gyro and came and landed here. And he was the first person that my husband and I saw for 15 days, 16 days. And to see another human being, I've never been so happy to see my brother-in-law and his living in my life. You know, we had been in the thick of it and had, we were starting to feel very isolated and cut off. We weren't thinking clearly because we had just been awake for our, what felt like days um, and feeding what cattle we could, when we could. So he came in and landed and obviously he had started to see some of the scale of what had happened. 
he knows our country, he, he knows our waterways, he flies them all the time mustering. Um, so he was able to go for a really good look around and came back with a hand-drawn map and said, you know, these are our crisis points, this is what we need to do, this is where we need to get hay. Um, and from then on, we had a plan. Um, and I feel like from that day, the sun came out, the weather warmed up, we had a plan and it was just time to put one foot in front of the other. And from then on, for about six months, I don't think we stopped. I don't think we drew breath. Hello, my name's Victoria Carey, and I'm delighted to be Grazia's new editorial director. The winter issue of the magazine is on sale now, and as you can imagine, it's an issue that's very close to my heart. We've also been working in collaboration with the gorgeous homewares and clothing designer, Rachel Castle, to create a Grazia branded bag. It's on offer to anyone who renews their subscription for two or three years. The offer runs until the 29th of August or until we sell out of bags. So if you can get in quickly by going on to grazia.com.au and click on the subscribe now button at the top of the bag. Stay tuned and while you wait, renew your subscription before these beautiful bags run out. There was a lot of fencing to do. Um, I think across the whole aggregation, there was about 150 k's worth of fencing, roughly around 30 or 40 here at Werner and Fleurs. And a lot of it, my husband and I did ourselves. Um, which I found really cathartic and therapeutic. It wasn't easy work. It wasn't fun work. It was stinking hot, still squelching through the mud as things started to dry out. But every day we, we would load up the, the little four-wheeler with all our gear and our lunch and we'd plough out to wherever we needed to to start to stock-proof our boundary so as... Um, we could hold on to, to whatever we had left. Why, why was the fencing so good for you? I think the fencing was really good for me and, and my husband. Like I, I think it was really good for both of us in that it was, it was the physicality. You were picking up a steel picket or, or restraining a fence one at a time. And every, for every picket you picked up, that was one less that, that was down. And it was hard and it was hot and it was, my God, did we get into some arguments. But you'd come home at the end of the day absolutely exhausted, but knowing you had achieved something and we were one step closer to a point of recovery. There's something so significant about your particular story and also Dudley's because you actually never planned to be on the farm, to be there tell me I don't even know where we begin to start with that but maybe the best question is where did you grow up you're not a country girl I can't believe that no I'm I'm very much not a country girl <laughs> I was born and bred in, in Brisbane um in inner city Brisbane um with the footpath lined streets and and going to the local um state school and you know popping down to the bakery for a a fresh croissant on a Saturday morning. Um, so this, the life that I have now is so far from the life I had when I grew up. Um, but I wouldn't 
I wouldn't change it for the world. How did you meet Dudley? I met Dudley um, when we were both in high school. I was quite good friends with his sister um, and through various social circles um, came to know the Harrington family and um, had a couple of interactions with them through school sport and things like that. Um, and then Dudley and I started dating um, just after I finished school. Um, he was in Brisbane completing a carpentry apprenticeship um, and I threw myself into, into university um, and we sort of thought we would end up in Brisbane one day. We thought we would, you know, have a little Queenslander somewhere in the inner city of Brisbane that we'd renovate and we'd, we'd live a life much like I grew up with. I don't think it had ever crossed either of our minds that we would our little journey would take a different path but I remember the year of his 21st birthday and he had a big country 21st birthday as all good country boys do <laughs> um, and it was a big it was a big affair and there was a lot of preparation and a lot of beer um bought into the bought into the station but I came up for it and it was one of my first visits to Bernard. And I just remember seeing Dudley in his natural environment. I remember seeing him at home with animals and machinery and dirt under his fingernails. And I, I thought to myself then, and I, I have the memory so vividly in my head, if he ever wanted to be here, I don't think I could ever take that away from him. He has this vibrancy and this glow and the way in which he speaks about the place that he loves. Just, I mean, it obviously had an impact on me, um, but it, it reinstated to me that this is where he belonged, whether he knew it at the time or not, um, because it was some years later, quite some years later that he returned from a working holiday in Europe and Canada this was 2012 and I was you know busy finishing my bachelor's degree and we'd done nine months long distance across several continents and he came back to Brisbane to surprise me early which was just the most wonderful thing having done this long distance relationship and we went skateboarding as a young couple does I don't know why we thought it was a good idea at the time, but we went skateboarding and I broke my foot and I had a big moon boot and, you know, wraps and plasters and all sorts of things. And that was the early, early period of 2013, um, which for Northwest Queensland was a very, very dry year. Um, and his father rang him and said, we're very dry. We need to destock. We need you to come home and, and give us a hand. And he turned around and said, yeah, no problem. And I looked at him and I thought, you've just broken my foot, been away for nine months. And now, and now you're going to go again? Like you're leaving me with this moon boot and a wheelchair? Like uh, what am uh, I meant to do? The long distance just got too much for me. So at the end of 2013, I applied for a job with the Cloncurry Shire Council and was lucky enough to get it um, and came up and took a community engagement role, which is sort of along the lines of the things I was doing in Brisbane, um, PR communications. 
and I so I could be closer to him and I threw myself into the job and the community because it was a community engagement role so I was out meeting people going to events you know talking to people taking photos social media all that sort of stuff and um I loved it I really really loved it and then I I can't even tell you at what point we both looked at each other and said we think we're here for life I think it just creeped up on us mm. um but but we've never looked back why wasn't it always in his pathway? I think that's a hard question because I think if you had asked one of his um, family, they said, you know, it's, it's probably always been in his pathway. Had you asked him, um, he would have said, no, it's not in my pathway. Um, you know, we had both really enjoyed aspects of Brisbane life and the lifestyle but it wasn't until he came back, immersed himself into it, you know, not just coming back to work on school holidays or, or give someone a hand. He did the full season and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give this a really good red hot crack. I just love it. It's so relatable, I think, to so many people. But I want to ask you, Thea, like how did that feel for you yeah. Prior to, to all of this, what were your dreams and aspirations? What were you going to become? And how much of a sacrifice was that to give it up? You can't laugh. As, as, a, as, a, as a, a university student, I thought I wanted to be, you know, the next big chief of staff to run through the state parliament or run through federal parliament. I thought I was going to be fearless and ferocious and wear pencil skirts and pointy heels. And I thought I was hot shit. <laughs> Not to say as that I that sit here happen. in my could it, it and it still could. It still could. Um, but as I sit here in my dirty jeans and my work shirt, the realization for me was that Dudley was my everything. He was my moral grounding. He was my compass. He was what made me feel safe. He was what drove me. And I just knew that I couldn't be without him. And I, if I was going to do life with someone, it was going to be him, rain, hail or shine. Also, you personally had a really tricky time um, during this time because you lost your mum what happened what happened during that time so mum passed away in um september of 2014 so i had only been in cloncurry for less than a year i was sitting at my desk in the council office mum was unwell at that point we all knew that she had bought cancer previously and had been in remission for several years um, and it had come back and she was unwell and I was sitting at my desk at the council office and texting my dad just asking for an update and I remember he said in his text 
hoping for the best but bracing for the worst with a love heart and for my dad to use a love heart emoji was a big deal I knew we knew her fight was coming to an end then um, and we knew that her days were numbered so I went back to Brisbane um, to spend some time with my immediate family and with mum and towards the end Dudley came down to be with me which was just he, it was everything I leaned on him so heavily you know everything from, I sent him grocery shopping and you know can you make sure the dog's been walked because we had left the hospital in days um and then she passed um right at the end of September um and he was there with us and I spent the rest of the year in Brisbane doing what I could for my siblings and my dad but I still felt this incredible pull to come back to Cloncurry. And so the end of 2014, I came back to the Northwest, um, to, the, to the open arms of my in-laws and, and uh, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, who did everything that they could to support me. Um, Uh, it was a really hard time. I was in my early 20s um, and my brother is five years younger than me. So he was in his late teens and had only just finished school. We were all very young to lose such a big force in our life that was our guiding light. Mm. It made me realise what matters and what doesn't and all those really immaterial superficial things you know should I buy that bag should I go to Europe should I do you know am I going to go to that party like none of that mattered it's made me stronger it's made me more resilient it's definitely given me far less patience for trivial things <laughs> um, but I think you know everybody in some way, shape or form has a struggle of their own at some point. You take from that what you will. But for me, that period in my life and the floods, I've come away with this greater appreciation of perspective. Who would have thought that, I mean, you've been through a lot prior, prior to the floods and, you know, Losing your mum gave you extraordinary clarity on what is important in life and tested your resilience, um, not only as a person, but also as a couple. And then also, you know, just moving your life um, to, to, to where Dudley had grown up um, it is another test of resilience and patience. But then, I mean, could you even imagine that you needed your resilience to be tested even more in the form of this awful flood disaster? And how could you possibly take anything more from it? Were there any, did you have any new learnings or did it just solidify what you already knew? I think it really solidified for me how greater appreciation I have for the life and the lifestyle that we have here. It's the sense of community. It's the sense of self. It's a sense of place. It's a sense of pride. 
um, I just can't imagine leaving here now. You know, had you asked me 10 years ago growing up in Brisbane what I wanted my life to look like, you know, I would have said family, love, home, um, purpose, this life with Dudley has afforded me all of that. You know, we were lucky enough um, not long after the floods um, to fall pregnant um, and lovely little Oliver is 15 months old at the, um, at the time we're recording this. I'm just so grateful of what this lifestyle affords me and affords my children because I'm also currently pregnant with our second baby, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's everything I thought I wanted, just in a different package. I love that. When I spoke to you about what your reflections were from the the devastation and trauma of the of the flood event, you just said that um, not o- for us, but not only for us, for the community. It really has, we all have such a greater perspective on what is really important in life. How have you noticed the, um, the, the recovery and how it's changed people in your community? This community has come out stronger than ever and the ability of people and businesses and families to pivot and rethink and reimagine will never cease to amaze me like out of the floods have come all these businesses and ideas you know we've got women of the west which is two local women in our community who've started up this um a fundraising uh female orientated um event you've got sisters of the north in cloncurry you know my beautiful friend Ruth Chaplin has started a, a paint and sip um, that she takes out on the road. You know, one of the one of the teenage girls in our local community hosted a massive flood relief lunch, luncheon um, in the months after the flood and had Alan Jones fly up in his private plane to come and speak to us. You know, the local dance school's gone from strength to strength. The local clothing labels had a, a rebranding. We had a new coffee shop open in town in the middle of the floods. And the reason she opened early was to support all the extra people in town who were here to support us. You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me, the imagination and creativity um, that can come from people's kitchen tables. So good. I love it. And what do you think it was about, like, why didn't, I'm presuming this is, you're talking mostly about women, like, why didn't women feel um, that they were able to do that prior to the floods? Look, they probably had the burning desire prior to the floods. Um, But I think the momentum and the support that came post-floods built people up and lifted people up to say you know what we can do this you know this is an incredibly incredibly resilient community um and you know straight after the floods you would think that all our social events would have just been pushed to the side because it was you know a bit of a too hard basket but the 2019 social calendar happened in full swing. We had rodeos, we had races, we had camp drafts, we had shows. And that's just a testament to the volunteer committee's 
that put these shows on, you know, that's a reflection to me of how much this community values that sense of togetherness. We have been supported through all from all levels of government um, and the broader Australian community. Like after the floods, we had a 92-year-old lady write us a letter to say that she was thinking of us mm -hmm. because she knew someone from Julia Creek when she was five years old. Mm -hmm. You know, we had outpourings of love from friends. We had care packages from complete strangers. We had offers, you know, come and stay in our Airbnb on the central coast of New South Wales. Um, we even had an offer of bull semen from the States. Um, <laughs> you know, things like that really restore your faith in humanity and they restore your courage and strength to, to challenge the norm, to step outside the blocks, to 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 lean on people and you know there's nothing more beautiful than the kindness of strangers since january 2019 how has your farming business changed and pivoted and altered as a result of the floods nothing and everything nothing in the sense that we we still run the same operation our day-to-day -day is still very similar but everything in the sense that the resilience of this business and our informed business decisions based on the learnings of the floods will hopefully set us up to be able to handle whatever comes our way. And how do you feel now about rain on the tin roof? I have come to love it again. It took a little bit of time, I'll be really honest, but um, we are halfway through 2021 um, and we're hoping for a beautiful wet to the, to the, for the summer. So here's to more rain on the tin roof. <laughs> Thea, I have so loved speaking with you. Um, it's been so interesting and I just love your perspective. I, I just think it's so, so great and quite relatable for quite a few women, not only in Queensland, but all over Australia who have made the move from the city to the country. So thanks. Thanks for chatting with me. Thank you. Thank you for being so um, willing to listen to my story. What a brilliantly positive and infectious attitude Thea has. And talk about baptism by fire. One thing that I learnt from my days working as a reporter with the ABC is that after a disaster like this, one of the most important things that you can do for a community suffering trauma after a big disaster is to check in with them. 12 or 18 months or even two years later after the event. Their mind is clearer, their learning's greater, and the outlook so much richer for the experience they've been through together. As we mentioned, the winter edition of Grazy Her is on sale now. You can meet these women of Northwestern Queensland in its pages, but it's also bursting with rural, with so much rural and regional goodness. And if you renew your subscription for two or three years, you'll become the proud owner of a Rachel Castle designed Grazy Her tote bag. 
grazyher.com.au. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you next week for another Life on the Land story.